listening to Shoot It Now, your weekly podcast about indie filmmaking and big-budget films with award-winning filmmaker Craig Newland. And welcome to another Shoot It Now podcast. My guest today is Ula Salim, a Danish film director who was born in Denmark. Both of Ula's parents are originally from Iraq and he uses his personal experience as inspiration for his filmmaking. In 2017, Ula Salim graduated from the National Film School of Denmark and then two years later released his provocative thriller feature film, Sons of Denmark. Ula, welcome to Shoot It Now. Thank you very much, Craig. So let's go back a little bit. The National Film School of Denmark. Can you tell me a little bit about your time at the school, what subjects were covered, the cost of the course? So that, especially for our European listeners who might be looking at different film schools to apply to, that they can get a a real sense of what the school is offering. Yeah, sure. Like uh, the Danish film school, first of all, uh, education is free in Denmark. So that helps a lot. But the Danish film school take around six directors every second year. And to get in, the process is a bit long. And how can you say, when you first get in, you're actually making films all the time. You're always making small, short films. And at the same time, you're going with five other students that have different aspects, you know, the cinematographer, editor, sound sound guy, and producer. So it's, it's you're like always with a film crew at all times. And at the same time, you have your, your little class of five other filmmakers. And the film school itself, it's four years. And you have these major projects. And you also have everything from uh, directing actors to blocking scenes to writing any kind of dialogue. And you have a lot of things that you cover in the, la- in the four years. But most of all, what they really, really are good at is the narrative and the personal voice. That is highly competitive. Only six places for a director to get in on the course. Yeah, yeah, it's very hard and it's very difficult applying. And I applied twice, like Ignorance is Bliss. I didn't really know how hard it was. I'd made a little little short film, like for $100, just me and my friend. And I was shooting it. I was doing everything. But the story was very personal. And I think I, I hit a nerve with the story. And then I just kept coming through to the next and the next round. So you went like from 200 to 100, then to 50, then to 20. And then at the end, we were like 12 to get into the six spots. And I, I didn't get in uh, the first time I applied. So it was very close for me. So it got me kind of made me believe that I could get in. And then I applied two years later and got in. But it is uh, competitive in the in the sense when you're trying to get in. When you go there, uh, of course, there is some competition, but I really don't think that's the main thing at the film school. At the opposite, it's more you're trying to learn from each other and like, everybody's learning from each other and you're kind of in the same kind of bubble together. So it's not like you want to be better than the next director. It's more you want to learn from each other. And it sounds like it's very practical based. Is that right? Mm. Yeah, definitely. You you make a lot of short stories. It's a lot about making film, at least when I was there. Now it's a couple of years since I, I went there, but that was the whole philosophy, like learning by doing and really trying to experiment as much as you could. And then, of course, getting the feedback. And sometimes it was good feedback. Sometimes it was bad. And sometimes you felt like you were still right. And other times you felt like you did a horrible job. 
Okay, so let's now dive into the film that you made. Let me set up the premise of your debut film. The film is set in Denmark, slightly into the future in 2025, when an ultra-nationalistic politician, Martin Ordal, is poised to assume the premiership one year after an Islamic terror attack on the Copenhagen metro. Nadal's extreme rhetoric towards the country's Muslim citizens and immigrants stirs up the far-right organization Sons of Denmark into committing hate crimes. Meanwhile, some of the country's Arab minorities plan to resist. Even though that this takes place in Denmark, It struck me as something very universal and relevant right around the world. Is is that how you viewed this film from the beginning? Yeah, of course. It's a lot about finding one solution to huge social problems and making it that gain people power and the the whole discussion and the conversation that's been going on in Europe for for many years. But it's more of a worst case scenario rather than this is happening now. But still, I traveled a lot with the film and some countries were more keen on like this film will never be made here because it's so much close to what's going on. And while I was writing it, a lot of things changed as well. It's a commentary of, of what I was seeing, but also what might happen and what we definitely don't want happening. And you held the world premiere at Rotterdam International Film Festival. How exciting was that for you to finally get your film out there, your debut film, to a world premiere audience at Rotterdam? It was very, very good. And I had the crew and my, my cast with me. So it was a very good experience. And, you know, working for so long on a film and just the whole, you know, going through film school and you never know if you're going to make that first feature film. You know, it's always in the back of your mind. It's going to happen, is it not? So it was I was very happy to be there and just to see that the that the film resonated also, because I I also really dream of making films like in Danish, but that could resonate other places in the world. And that's definitely what I got out of this film. I traveled a lot just to see like people from across the world having kind of a similar reaction to the film or the theme, even though it's very national in a sense. And that's the thing about film festivals. It's a great barometer to read how the audience is sensing the material of what you have made. So about the Q&A, how did the sense of the audience understanding the film through that Q&A get spoken to you? Sometimes I get the feeling that if I'm not there, they might see a very brutal film. A lot of brutal things happen in the film. And then some people might think that that is the message or that is the end game. But as you know, that many of the best films have very brutal scenes or very rough environments. But in fact, they're trying to speak against these things. And especially the ending in this film, without spoiling it, is like it's it's very controversial and I think that what spoke to me was there will always be somebody that sees the film one-to-one or like in the exactly how the film is made. And that is not the point of this film. And we as filmmakers always hope that people, when they leave the cinema, people will discuss the film that they've just watched. Your film, without a doubt, is a discussion that will be happening long into the night, long into the next day and the next week. How was your film received in Denmark? 
I think it was fairly well received and we got a, a like big release and you know got some great nominations for the big awards here so I think it was well received especially considering that it it really dives into them, something that's really hard to speak about I wanted to make a film that I would see myself you know I wanted to be like taken into the film and being surprised by the film uh, and also just seeing it as a film first and foremost and then a film was something that was trying to discuss something that's very hard to speak about. So for me, I was really relieved when the film came out. I was taking a lot of chances as well in the structure of the story. I could just see so many traps that I thought, well, if I go into one of these, I'm I'm finished, kind of. <laughs> so for me, it, I was very happy with the release, to be honest. And you mentioned that it was released widely across Denmark. I read somewhere that it was also at a time very close to the general election that the film was released. Uh, the film is political. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that that was just a coincidence. Uh, so there's an election every four years, and it's in that fourth year, whenever the prime minister wants, they can put out the election. So it's in, impossible. You know, It's very difficult to even get your film made than to have a release date. It's like it's not in my hands in that sense. And then you wait for the festivals and all these things. So I think that it was just, um, it was a coincidence that it happened. But of course, when it just, when it came like that, the film meant even more, or at least also for me, because then many of the points of the film kind of started happening when the film was released. And I think if it had released after the election, people would say it came from that election or, you know, even though that you spent so many years making the film. But I, I really like that it came before the election. I think, unfortunately, the subject and the way that these things are going about, that it would also have been in the last election or in the next election, the same kind of thing. And that's also the point of the story, that we're going in the same direction for many, many years. And at some point, then there must be a breaking point that will do something that is very hard to come back from. And the film feels a very personal one with a lot of passion and expression coming through. From you as a director with a voice and desire to engage in this relevant subject matter, which is gripping different parts of the world right now, were there times during the process in which you thought it was all becoming a little bit too hard? I think because I just got out of film school and I felt like I had gained some confidence in the four years of film school that I knew that this was the film I wanted to make. And there is this old saying, always make your film like it's your first film and your last film. And that was definitely the, the case here. I always felt it was my first film. You know, you wanted to do so many things, try so many things, prove so much. And I always felt it might be my last film because it can fail completely. <laughs> so... I, and that, when I was lying awake and not, I'm not unsure, I always kind of think, does this feel like a first and last? And it did, so I knew it was right. But if you look at a lot of filmmakers, and not just the well-known in the world that we all love and adore, but I mean, if you look at how many filmmakers don't get to make more than one, two films, it's, it's fairly a lot. Uh, so you kind of really have to have that edge in your films, I think. Even when I was making my short films, not that I was, I knew I had more short films in me because I was doing an education, but for my graduation film, we were the first team ever at the Danish film school to do a fiction film out of Europe. We went to the Middle East and, and there I had kind of the same sense because it was just me and my Danish film crew. 
and we're in foreign land and we you know it's a road trip film and everything could go wrong in that sense but it still gave me the edge and i'm very proud of my graduation film which was maybe my most personal film so i think i learned from that that you really need to have that edge and i tried to put that in my first feature film and now coming on on the other side of the first feature film i kind of try to still have that sense when i'm writing and still feel like okay this is it feels like a first film the next one but it still feels like a last film because if it goes wrong it goes really wrong <laughs> it's not it's not a bad idea to think of every film after your first as another first because many second films fail yeah i, I think i think you're right many second films fail because you also know that like a lot of things about releasing a film you think there's expectations you feel there's expectations to you but you have to kind of remove that there is this pressure on your second film there should be only pressure from yourself to really have that edge and say okay i'm still making it like i was in film school just really wanting to tell this story and really wanting to take some risks well, you do definitely took some risks, and we'll talk about some of those risks very soon. The script feels like it has gone through many stages, many drafts, and maybe many reimaginings. Tell us about that process of how you tackled the subject matter, what your obstacles were, and how you kept moving forward as a filmmaker. Yeah, so originally the script idea came in 2013. When I got into film school, we got like a mail, congratulations, everything. And then they wrote us like, if you if you ever get to make a feature film or like one of the long uh, tests we had to do in, in film school was like a feature length film. And they said, like, what would you like to do? And then I started writing this story because there was some things I was seeing about how the extreme was becoming more and more normalized in our society, like any extreme form, like the extreme became a daily part of our lives. And then when I got into film school, I felt like I was going to get the opportunity to actually make a film. And then I started writing the film from that point on. And people would say it was very exaggerated, the, the first drafts or the first, second draft. But I kept the story and I didn't change much in the, in the years in film school. But I think everything around us changed a lot. So the same kind of ideas that were maybe too crazy or feels like they were not in our time became more like the same people would say, well, hmm, maybe this is not that far off. And then when I finally got to make it, it was like, this is too close to reality. And when I got that, I kind of put it in the future because I wanted to have some creative freedom to make the film without people saying it's not exactly like this, you know, when you're speaking about a subject that is a bit sensitive. It's interesting because it happens quite often when you take such a long time to write a script that the realities around what you are writing starts to change. I think it was a really smart move, putting it, as you say, slightly into the future, 2025, which does bring in the creative license. It does give you that opportunity to explore. Right now, it's still the same as it was five, six years ago, but now it's more in your face. And I think like if you can, if you have children or if you're thinking about having children, all of a sudden you see everybody's having children. You see children everywhere when you walk around, but they were also there five years ago, but your view on it wasn't, I'm thinking about having children. I was thinking a lot about this extremism being normalized in our society. And I was seeing it all the time. And all of a sudden it was coming up in the mainstream 
at the same time. So I think it seems like everything goes on at the same time, but it depends on the view, how you see it. And I think that's the most important thing as a filmmaker. What is it you see in the world? You better talk about that. And the film feels exhausting. And by that, I mean, it may have taken you to a, a dark place to get it made because the tone is confronting. It's sad. It's dangerous with constant tensions back and forth. And I'm wondering, did you feel shattered after the film was completed as a filmmaker? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I'm still very happy and I'm still glad I made the film. It wasn't like that, but I was I was definitely getting a reaction that I didn't want to make a film like that again. Or maybe I didn't feel like being on set uh, just around the corner after that film or making, I said no to some television and stuff. I didn't want to just make films again. But it's also because, you know, it's a... It's a, some, a lifetime of work sometimes because it's also very, uh, on a personal level, you're trying to make it, you're trying to get into the school, you're trying to make a film. Then you make a film about a subject that's very difficult, that could be personal, that could be very your point of view of the world. I think you shouldn't be making a film like this for five years of your life. You know, the reaction is clear. I'm making a, a love story next time, so I'm, I'm more happy now. <laughs> Good move. Yeah, but though it's a sad love story, so that also has its flip side. Coming back to the film, how many days did it take you to make the film? And, and can you give us a sense as a first-time director the size of your crew and some of the real challenges uh, that you faced making the film? Yeah, so out of film school, uh, me and my producer actually decided to make our own production company. And we've been working together for four years in film school and did the, the graduation film together. So it was natural for us to say, okay, we want to do it our way. And he knows how I work. And, and I, I really believe in him having my back. So so in that sense, we got a, a very, I got a lot of freedom because it was my own company. Like the budget is, it's not that big. It's less than a million dollars. And we got 45 days of shooting and the crew was maybe roughly, I would say 20 people on average. And then of course you had days where we had 300 extras and we had days where we, the film, the film begins with an explosion. So there was also these heavy days that we had, but there also the two main characters was their first feature film. So I also needed time to make sure that they could deliver. But the 45 days we shoot, we were shooting and it was 80 or 90% night shooting. And did you feel that you had enough days? 45 days, first time film, not too bad in terms of the amount of days that you've got to play with. It's a good, fair amount, but um, I felt I had I had time. You know, like people say, time and money, you're always short of it. But still, I was kind of, I was satisfied with the time. I went it a lot of time and I got a lot of time. And I think that's one of the reasons why the film made it through some of the traps that it could have fell in. Because if I didn't have the time, I wouldn't have solved things on set. I wouldn't have been able to think about what am I going to do here and here, here, and can I change something? And, and I also work with like something we call buffer days. It started with buffer hours where nothing was scripted. Uh, I wanted the crew be ready, the actors to be ready, and I just decide what we do for three hours or five hours. And in the feature film, I had buffer days. So we had maybe multiple days where nothing was scripted, nothing. And two nights before or a night before I would get a sense of where the film was going and I would say, okay, we need this. And it was not just like two people speaking with each other, like it was scenes, it was sequences. So I would myself drive out to a location, take pictures and say, this is what I want. And then the production would, would get it within a day and the next day we would shoot there. 
So I feel I had a lot of freedom and that's how I work best. You know, I, I rather have we fail once or twice, but we get eight or nine really good things out of that. I just want to come back to what you just said about the buffer days. So 45 days to shoot. So during the shoot, the buffer days, you would go out and be scouting for a location. Yeah. So let's say we would shoot for 10, 15 days. And then we, of course, you know, we have weekends. So on a Friday, I knew Monday was a buffer day. So Friday, we would, if we shot at night, we would finish early, but if we hadn't slept. I would go, I would have an idea. Of course, I wouldn't just go out. I would have an idea. I would two days before start thinking about it, looking up places I would shoot or ask somebody to go somewhere for me and take pictures. And then I would decide something in my mind. Then I would go there, take the pictures, make some rough idea of what I wanted to do. I would work in the weekend to make sure I want, I knew what I wanted without involving anybody. And Monday, we knew on the schedule long before that Monday was a buffer day. And then we would start there. So was that based on what you had shot on the previous day or the previous few days? I would say more like if I had a scale of 15 days, it would be maybe on four or five days. I would see, okay, I did on a lot of these scenes. Maybe I made it like I need something that I didn't write in the script, a bridge over here, or this dialogue is not working. But what am I actually trying to say? I'm trying to speak about the paranoia of the, of the character. And maybe I shouldn't be telling that he's or saying in dialogue he's getting scared or whatever. Maybe we should have him go grocery shopping with his son and he starts seeing these people looking at him. And we're also in a certain point that the film where we're maybe an hour and 10 minutes in. So he is on a character developing journey where he can also become violent now. So, okay, I know these are the two elements I want in this thing. And then I start building a scene looking for the location. So... It's in that way it came. So your cast would have really appreciated what you were doing with the ability to change and identify some of those little problem areas that you were able to very quickly identify before you'd shot it out. And then you'd potentially have to go back and do a pickup, which is always more money after the fact. Yeah. And Denmark, we don't really do pickups, so not on this level right now but i think if you ask the cast and the production when we were doing it they were probably not happy about it but now i think people are happy about it because it worked and it was also trying things out because film is so much especially when you start making feature films there's so much money on the line so many people making films you're also trying to be in the moment you're also trying to f look for something that you don't know what it is but you still know what it is, is is when you see it so it was also giving myself some opportunities as a filmmaker. For example, one of my favorite characters is uh, the mother of the young, young uh, kid we see in the first part of the film. And it's also her first feature film. And I found her in a, she was singing in some Iraqi band in Denmark, like on Sundays she was singing. And then I went to this band and I casted all these ladies. I was looking for the mother and, and I found Shirin, which was really great. And I used her youngest son as the youngest son in the film to make it also more compatible when they were together. And then one of the breaks, she would tell me like, she would just start singing a little bit like a little lullaby for her son because it was her real son and he was tired. We've been shooting for seven hours or eight hours. So when I looked at her singing for her son, I thought, well, I'm going to have to use this in the film. So mm -hmm. that I used for the next buffer hour. I had days after I said 
So you remember when you're singing, sing for him again. And then it became a very important layer of the film. And what did you shoot it on? And what was the lens kit that you used? It was Alexa and we used between anamorphic and the normal lenses and we kind of switched around what we could get. We were trying not to have too much lighting on set, to be honest. And when we are using the anamorphic, we needed a lot of uh, lighting. So I was trying to make it as light as possible, but still have a cinematic feeling to it and have this sense of this is not Denmark right now. And obviously handheld. It was handheld, most of the things, but we also had, of course, dollies, we had drones, these things that were hard to get by five, ten years ago that are really easy to have now in, in filmmaking where you don't have the biggest budget. The music in the film is used to great effect at different stages. At one stage, there was classical music in dark, ominous scenes, which is kind of like a surprising juxtaposition. You are responsible for that as a director. Were you surprised by the effect the music played in the film? Yeah, you know, when we were shooting also, we got to make like three, four days of test shooting before we got the fully financed film. And in those three or four days, I also tried, I was experimenting a a little bit with the language of the film. And in that four days, I found kind of the classical sound of it or the more opera kind of feeling to it that I wanted because it is a tragedy in many ways. I wanted to like give you some things that you expected and put something on it that you did not expect. And as I, as myself, as a, a viewer and film uh, lover, did not expect happening in that point of the film. And then it kind of grew from there and it kind of felt very natural that it had to have its place in the film more than once. But again, it was trying things out more than knowing exactly it should be always like this. But I had the feeling that it came Everything comes from from the characters, so both through all three characters are tragedies. The film structure is about somewhat identity in many ways. It's about the division in society, and that's why also the film is divided in two parts. So I try to look at what is it actually I'm trying to say and how can I put it in the language of the film rather than this works and this does not work. So let it come from the film's DNA in a sense. So many parts of the film, I realized I wasn't listening to the music, which is the perfect complement to the composer. Perhaps talk Mm -hmm. about how important working with a composer is for you. Well, it's very important. And it was a new composer I used this time and he did uh, very well. And what I wanted was the film to have this urgency to it or have this character that's kind of slowly but surely burning up that's suppressing something that needs to come out Um, and i'm speaking mainly about the main character in the second part of the film that's how we tried to talk through it and then when i would get something if i wasn't satisfied we would talk more about it and then sometimes i would also just speak about like instruments and like be very concrete but I, I like to speak more about the feelings and then letting the composer come with something that is his own with the with my thoughts that somewhat gives us something that we couldn't have done without one each other one in the other and the narrative structure is arranged in such a way that it keeps the audience guessing who the main protagonist is and therefore whose story are you telling? Again, a very deliberate ploy by you to have that swinging backwards and forwards. And I wonder how much of that 
was worked out in the edit uh, versus how much of that was worked out in the script? Uh, for the first 50 minutes or so, you kind of follow this young man and you think he is kind of living up to a lot of prejudice there is. And you think, okay, this is this kind of movie. This is this. But at the midpoint, it changes. And then you see another character that has been in surroundings and a friend of this young young man. And you see him as his true self and as the actual main character. And he is the main character of the story. Um, but I wanted to kind of have the audience believe one thing, but still feel that something was wrong, something was off. And when it switches, everything should make more sense. And then at the end of the film, you should feel one kind of one long character burning up. And the main character is half Danish, half Arabic. So, but you kind of, in the first part, only see him as Arabic. And that's also a point that we kind of see what we think we're seeing as the everything. But the story kind of falls out and shows the extreme has two kind of faces. And he is the one in the middle of everything. And he represents somewhat the middle man who is caught in between the extreme voices. And as long as the extreme voices are getting more and more mainstream or getting more and more towards the middle, then the person that was the middle person will lose everything. And the television interview with politician Martin Odal, these were very realistic. The tone of the character brought to life by Rasmus Berg, who apparently is a comedian, was really on the money, almost documentary-style fly on the wall. How did you achieve that, and what type of rehearsing did you do with Martin's character? Yeah, I was very satisfied with him and appreciated that he, because he's a very big comedic actor, but he has done some dramatic roles, but not that many. He'd done one film prior to this that was a success, but I knew that he was a very great actor. So when I cast him, we spoke a lot about this and how to make it a human and not some villain guy, because I didn't want him to be a villain. In the first part of the film, I wanted him to be Zacharias's villain, but not the film's villain. And I wanted to surprise the audience by also meeting him and also getting to know him and then changing the view on what was actually his, what was his want in life and what was his need. What we did was we also used real quotes, basically everything that, or most of the things that uh, Rasmus Bjerg's character, Matsu Nodel, is saying is taken from real politicians from the last decade or two uh, in Denmark, but also around in Europe. Because I wanted also that, I know in the cinema you, you really drawn into this world, so you're really also listening. And I think when these politicians are saying all of these things, we're not really listening because it, it's an information age. You get bombarded with a lot of things and you forget and you're not listening, listening to, to what he's saying. So there was a point of giving him the real quotes and still not making him into some kind of monster, except for Sagrias's character, that he would see this is the face of the villain for me. But um, so we tried to take a lot from reality and we also tried to get to know Martin Nordale behind the mask. Uh, and Rasmus really brought a lot to the table there. You know, when I was researching, I found so many more quotes that if I put them in, people wouldn't have believed them. And even some of the things he's saying now, people were like, no, too much. Or he's just trying to paint a picture of exaggerated villain. But, you know, it was true things said by and not said by small-time politicians. We're talking about politicians that, that really, you know, decide how we're living our lives. 
Ula, it's been great talking to you and finding out about your debut feature film, Sons of Denmark, and the struggles and the ultimate success that you've had making the film. And there is no doubt many films coming from you in the future. Thanks again for sharing your work with us today on Shoot It Now. Thank you very much, Craig. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Shoot It Now with Craig Newland, your weekly podcast about all things behind the camera and in front of it. Until next time, have a great week.